Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, what up everybody? Happy Sunday, welcome to the Vineyard. Glad you're here. Uh, is everybody freaked out? First service, some people admitted their blood pressure was a little elevated. It's weird what happens when you come to church and see people. Uh, anyway, hey, glad you're here. My name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor, and you've probably recognized that we rearranged the room this morning. In fact, this is something we've done every February for the, like the last three or four years. We have broken things apart and made a circle as best we can. And the reason we do that is because, well, we've just sort of awakened to a few things in the last few years here at the Vineyard. And one of the things that we've sort of woken up to is, is this. How many of you realize that you could go to a church for many years, maybe even your whole life, and um, never really know anyone and never be known? Do you know that's possible? You, you can come here. You can come to the vineyard. I actually think our church is pretty good. I've been to several churches. I go to churches. I speak. And I still think this is my favorite church I've ever been to. High praise. Listen, if it ever changes, I'm leaving. Like, for real, you know? But, but seriously, you can even come to... I think this is a pretty decent church. It's at least above average. And you could come here for years, and you could literally never know anyone or be known. You could just, you know, come a little late, leave a little early, slip in, slip out. Uh, maybe sing the third song, you know, and then that's one of the things that can happen at church. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but that's really missing the point. Really missing the point. So we're going to do this series here for the next month called Life in a Circle. And we wanted to rearrange it because not only is it a possibility that you could come to church and never have transformational knowing happen in your life, but one of the things that we've woken up to in the last few years is the fact that our churches are arranged for not knowing each other, like architecturally. How many of you realize that 99.9% of the churches, at least in the, you know, the West, we'll just say like Western Europe and the United States, at least in the West, uh, they're arranged just rows and columns and you come in and you see the backs of people's heads, right? Like pretty much every church you've ever been to, right? Why did we do that? Because the reason why we did it is telling what we really believe about all kinds of things, right? So here's why we did it, at least in part. We did it because we think church is a school. That's what we think it is. We think church is a school, and we think pastors are teachers, and we think that you guys are like students, and we think that this whole thing is for the dissemination of information. And that's not the truth. That is not the truth. The point of church is not for the dissemination of information. We're going to talk about some stuff. I might teach a thing once or two, once or twice, and a, once or two. I speak for a living. You're not learning. You know, it's like you should be, begin to question the teacher already. But I might teach a thing or two occasionally, right? You might learn a thing or two. But church is not fundamentally a school, right? Here's what church is fundamentally. I'm believing this more and more. Church is a table where we come to feast, and what is the feast? Well, it's the body and the blood of Jesus. That's what it is. We're going we're gonna to feast on the body of Jesus this morning. We're going to do that in singing, and we're going to do that in the preaching of the Scripture. 
And then in a few weeks, we'll actually take communion, do that sort of thing too, right? Church is a feast. And how many of you know that when you sit down to eat at any table, in any dining room, people see one another, right? And part of the feast that happens at a table, it extends beyond the meal that is served. Part of the nourishment that comes is actually knowing someone and then allowing yourself to be known. Anybody ever had a really great meal? Like a really great meal. It's like transformational, right? Um, a couple years ago, like Heather and I, we have a hobby. We, really, this is our hobby. Our, our hobby is just like food and wine. <laughs> We've gotten old and somewhat pathetic. But that's our hobby. And a few, so like we will take trips just to go to a restaurant. Like when I go to a city, I don't want to really go see the tourist sites. So if I go to New York City, I don't want to go to Freedom Tower. And I don't want to go to the Statue of Liberty. Like, I couldn't care less, right? I want to go to, I want to, go to Thomas Keller's restaurant or something, right? That's how we roll. But anyway, a few years ago, Heather and I, we just had a free night, so we went to Louisville. And we went to, we went to Edward Lee's restaurant. It's called 610 Magnolia. Anybody ever been there? Highly recommend it. Save your dollars. It's not cheap. <laughs> I robbed Peter and PayPal, and we went to 610 Magnolia. It was just the two of us. Dinner was four hours long. Guess what happens when you have dinner with your wife in a restaurant for four hours? You talk. And part of that talking, part of that talking we realized on the way home was the meal, right? Like the meal that night wasn't what we ate and it was phenomenal. The meal that night was, it was she got to know me better, and I got to know her better. And here's the really weird part for those of you who are not married or maybe those of you who are newly married, and even those of you who have been married for more than a minute. You don't have a clue who you're married to, right? Like, I've been married to Heather now for almost 19 years, which is really psycho because we got married really young. I'm still discovering things about her. Why? Because she's an infinite possibilities of, possibility of discovery. That's why. And honestly, so am I. But that's the point. That's the point. So church is not a school. Church is a meal. It's a meal. And there's a feast, and the feast is the Lord. But then beyond, beyond the feast that gets served to us, there's this extracurricular activity that's happening on the edges, and it's the knowing. It's the knowing. So that's why we do this. We want to get our architecture to occasionally, here at the vineyard, to embody our values. And our value here is that church should be a place where we know one another and we get known. How many of you also know there's no hiding in the circle? There's no hiding. You can't hide here. People have already seen you. Some of you were like, man, I'm going to go to church and just slip in. No one's going to know I'm really there. <sighs> Not today. <laughs> Not today. And that, by the way, that's a really good thing. Because most of us, most of us, we live in denial land like crazy. We just, we, everything is denial. And the only way real transformation can happen is when we stop playing denial games and we come into those spaces where we can no longer hide who we really, really are, even if who we really are is painful, okay? And church should be one of those places where who you really are can be exposed even if it's painful. So let me just go into that for a minute. What I mean by that is, if you're a rotten person, if you've done terrible things, if the, if the center of your being is not okay, church should be the sort of place where you can be not okay until you're okay. Now, we don't always get that right here. We've done a pretty crappy job of that at certain moments in the last 20 years. But you know what? 
We're living into that. So I just want to tell you guys, no hiding here. And you might be thinking, oh my gosh, I've got some stuff that if they knew, listen, I've heard everything. I can no longer be surprised by people, right? It is okay to not be okay until you are okay. That's part of what church is. It is coming to the table and living life in a circle. Here's another reason why we want to do this series called Life in a Circle. Because life is a circle. Life is not chairs arranged in rows and columns. It's not the silence of heads looking down at iPhones. It's not an office cubicle with a Spartan desk and oppressive solitude. Life is not a long, solitary walk. Life is a circle. It's a gathering. It's a community. And here's why I know that. Because God is a circle, and God is a community. We're going to look at some scripture this morning. We're going to look at some stuff out of Genesis. We can go ahead and put this up. If we're going to do a series called Life is a Circle, then we should hopefully be able to find this in God. By the way, you don't want anything in your life that you can't also find in God. And look at how the whole darn book gets opened up. It gets opened up with this reality. Here's what I want you to do as we read this this morning. I want you to look for Trinity. That's what we're looking for everywhere. We're looking for the Trinity. First verses of Genesis goes something like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, most Bible scholars will tell you that this opening passage from the book of Genesis is deeply Trinitarian. And if you've been reading somewhat carefully, even for the last moment or two, you've probably picked up on some of this, and you might be left scratching your head a little bit, right? How many of you see God and you see the Holy Spirit, but you're having a hard time finding Jesus, right? Like, we can be honest, right? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Well, here's how the Bible scholars figure this out for us. Because this is not just an Old Testament reality, it's also a New Testament reality. And we can look at the Gospel of John. The opening of John's Gospel goes like this, first, four, first four verses. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. Now, who is John talking about? Come on, Sunday school answer. Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Word. He's the Word, right? And how many of you noticed that the opening of the Gospel of John, it looks, sounds, and feels very similar to the opening of Genesis? Yeah, it's supposed to. John was doing that on purpose. He was saying, guys, the way this thing started is the way it continues, right? So let's go back to Genesis. In the beginning was God. There we go. There was God. And the Spirit of God was hovering. Holy Spirit over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. What is that voice that proceeds? It's Jesus. He is the very Word of God spoken into creation. Trinity, right there for us at the very beginning. At the very, very beginning. What's also interesting is that this Trinitarian reality is not just here, but it's like everywhere. I want to read you another scripture out of Genesis. This is chapter 1, 26 and 27. 
And now that I've tipped my hand that the first circle is the Trinity of God himself, I want you to read these verses with me, and I want you to look for Trinity, okay? It's sneaky, but it's here. It goes like this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small creatures that scurry along the ground, the ones we run over in our cars. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Stop. How many of you saw something peculiar here? Anybody ever read this and gone, there's something weird going on here? What's weird? I'll give you a hint. It's the pronouns. I'm not even a grammar person, but it's the pronouns. Look at verse 26. How many of you noticed that the pronouns in verse 26 that God uses about himself are plural? God is going to make humankind. He's going to make men and women, and all of the pronouns in verse 26 are plural. Isn't that weird? Here's how it's even weirder. Not only are the pronouns plural in verse 26, but there's a trinity of plural pronouns in verse 26. What are they? Here they are. Let us, our image, and like us. Now here's where it gets super strange. In verse 27, all of the pronouns are singular. Flip. Not only are all of the pronouns singular, but there is a trinity of singular pronouns in verse 27. And what are they? His own image. His. He created them. He. And then finally again, He created them. It's so interesting that 26 contains a trinity of plural and 27 contains a trinity of singular pronouns. This is how God begins to reveal Himself. And not only that, but He says that we're made in His image and we're like Him in this way. So this circle, this trinity of God, and here's the thing, the trinity is just the craziest thing, right? It is that God is expressing himself in three persons and he is but one person. He is a community within himself. The reason the church gathers is because God is a gathering within himself. The reason that the church is called to uh, unity and to Christian love is because God is unity and Christian love inside of himself. The reason that Christians are called to embrace the world and to extend this kind of kindness to, uh, and to extend this kind of kindness to the world is because this is who God is and this is what He does. Isn't that weird? God is a circle. God is a circle. And just so you know that this is not an Old Testament reality, I want to read you probably a top five favorite passage for me out of the whole Bible. And this is in the Gospel of Luke. This is when Jesus gets baptized. I want you to notice Trinity again. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. And as he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in the bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You're my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. Trinity. All three persons there together. Hmm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with circles? Or with me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Part of what we are hopefully noticing this morning 
is that God is himself a relational circle. God is a dynamic where Father, Son, and Spirit are present and they're fully known in a way that you and I have a hard time even understanding. They are fully known, every single person. And they are together. It's the mystery of the Trinity. It's not that three people know each other simply, but it's something far beyond knowing and relating. It's that the three are actually one. Again, it'll make your head hurt. But, but here's the point that all Trinitarian theology and Trinitarian language and the hints that are in the Scripture at this are really trying to get us to see. It's that real life is in connection and relationships. Okay? Uh, how do I get to that? I get to that because God is the source of life. We saw that in Genesis. The very beginning, those first three verses. Everything that is has proceeded from God. It was created by Jesus through the Holy Spirit at the will of the Father. That's, that would be one way of expressing that. And so what we see is that God is the source of life. There is no life that did not come from Him. And not only is God the source of life, but God is ultimate relationship and He is ultimate connection. He is a happy family within Himself, right? And so if you or I are going to have real life, and by the way, that's the thing that you and I are really, really wanting. What you're not wanting is more money, a bigger house, more satisfying sex, or uh, another vacation. I know you think that's what you want. That's not really what you want. What you're wanting, what you're wanting is real life, and real life happens in relationship. That's where it's at. That's where the mojo's at. Now, I want to back up just a little bit, and I want to show you a little bit of what it means to be a real person. So we're going to start small, and then we're going to let it grow a little bit, okay? Um, here's what it means to be a real person who's connected and relationally mature. Well, the first thing it means is it means that you acknowledge that you are a trinity and that you've been made in the image of God. How many of you know that people are triune beings? You ever know that? People, one of the ways that we reflect the divine. One of the ways that we reflect God is that not only is God a trinity, but he has, he has made us Trinitarian creatures as well. Here's how that works. Uh, you have a spirit, and you have a soul, and you have a body, right? Some of us are like, I don't even know what that means. Well, let me just walk you through it real quick. Really, really quick. Uh, here's what it means to have a spirit. Uh, your spirit is your life. It's the thing you never asked for, right? It's your life. And your spirit, uh, in a more practical sense, it's your breath. You know, when God created Adam and formed him out of the ground, it says that God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and he became a living being. That's his spirit. God gave his spirit. And you have a spirit. And it is deeply connected to your actual breath. This is why in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, and in the New Testament, the words for spirit are breath, wind, right? So why don't we just do this for a second? Why don't you breathe in? And breathe out. You're a spiritual being. Some of you are like, man, this feels like yoga. Well, it kind of is. <laughs> Some of you are like, that sounds new age. Well, it's really not. <laughs> Pastor Adam's a new age yogi. Listen, you have no idea. But you're not just a spirit. You're also a soul. What is your soul? 
Well, your soul is your consciousness. Consciousness. This is one of the most peculiar things about people. We have consciousness. What is consciousness? Consciousness is the awareness that you are a person and that you are here and that you're having a life. Did you know that dogs don't have consciousness? Dogs don't have, from everything that we can tell, the only creatures in the universe that have consciousness, awareness of themselves and that they're having a life through space-time, we're the only creatures, as far as we can tell, that have consciousness. And here's what's really crazy. Uh, the psychologists and all the neurosurgeons and all the brain people, they are working extremely hard well, not just right now, but for the last 200 years in particular in the West, but super, super hard right now, and they're trying to explain consciousness, and guess what they've come up with? They don't know. No one has yet satisfied the answer to why you and I know that we're here. Like, we know that I'm here, I'm a person, and I'm connected. That's your soul. And because your soul is the awareness that you're here and that you're a person, it is deeply connected to things like curiosity, and it's deeply connected to things like learning and education and um, wonder, right? Like, so anytime you lean into, uh, anytime you lean into um, music and transcendence and, and learning or you pick up a book or you decide to become more educated or you begin to lean into uh, the, the gravity of your own existence, and you begin to work on that or give attention to it, what you're really doing is you're picking up a soul work. Now, not long ago, one of the things I try to do every year is I try to take a silent retreat to the Gethsemane place about 40 miles from here. It's where the Trappist monks live. They don't speak. They've, been, they've lived there for 160 years, and they've been uh, singing the Psalms and living in silence and working the land for 160 years, and you can go over and have a silent retreat, and I try to stay from Monday to Friday. It's super weird. It's crazy. It's amazing. No one talk. You, you sit in a room, and you eat with people, and you don't talk. It's utterly bizarre. It's like a social experiment, right? But when you get there, they have this little desk in the room, and there's a card on the desk, and the card says, consider, the, consider your existence. That's all it says. First time I said it, I, first time I read it, I just, just wept. Why? Because I'm a person. Well, I didn't even ask to be a person. But here I am, and I, and I live with you guys and your people, and you didn't ask to be here either. And, and there's so many things that, that, that had to be coordinated for you and I to be here. And all of these things are soul things. Like, this, to be a soul person means to, to be deep, you know? To be a deep person. That's your soul. It's your consciousness. It's your curiosity. It's your wonder. All right, and then you have a body, and what's that? Well, it's like your blood and your guts and your heart and your lungs and... Everything that's like beautiful and disgusting. I have a real hard time with like blood. Jeez. Just have to give all medical people a high five. God almighty. Here's what I believe. I believe that teachers and doctors don't make enough money. You know? <laughs> Some of us would agree about one but not the other. But I'm telling you, I have such, I have such blood issues. Like just pay them more. <laughs> but your body is your body. And then you might be thinking, well, why does it matter? Well, it matters because real life won't be found in ignoring any part of your own existing existence. Uh, one of the first circles in life to attend to is the circle of your own life. And your whole life is actually yearning for integration. That's the thing you're really yearning for. 
is integration. To, to, to see all of who you are be deeply connected. You know, It's actually already deeply connected, but sometimes we live with a real lack of awareness in which all the ways that we're deeply connected are actually touching one another. I'll tell you another story. Um, about five years ago, I had basically an existential crisis, which is really a fame, like sort of fancy word and a fancy way of saying, I got super depressed and I have never been depressed in my life. Like, I have issues, depression isn't one. Like, most of my issues show up as anger. Uh, you, you know, come to the soccer field, I, I'm loud, you know? Um, I'm really not a depressed person, but five years ago I got deeply depressed and I won't go into why because it was sort of boring. But here's what happened. I got depressed and I couldn't sleep. Basically, I, I became super anxious. I was overcome with anxiety and I was, and this is what anxiety does. It, man, it just throws you into a dark room because you think you're the only one, right? And I, I got anxious about stuff. I got anxious about the worst stuff. I, the, the, wor- the, the reason it's the worst stuff is because I got anxious about the nature of God. And so I wasn't sleeping. I slept maybe like one or two hours a week. This went on for two years. It was unrelenting, right? And uh, I started looking bad. My wife was like, you look horrible, you know, <laughs> which, by the way, doesn't help. It's like when you're having a hard time and your wife's like, you look terrible. It's like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> it's like you meet a depressed person. You're like, wow, you look, you're depressed. It's like, yes, I know. Thank you. Um, but I wasn't sleeping. I, I looked horrible. I felt terrible. I was very unsure about, like, the kindness or goodness of God for a lot of reasons. And, and here's the really good news. Uh, I was preaching to you guys every single week. Like, I was telling y'all about the Lord. I wasn't even sure that there was a God, okay? Seriously. I had two whole years where I was like, I don't know if there's anything out there. And if it is there, I'm not entirely sure that we want to know it, you know? And, and here's what's happened. Like, actually, a bunch of things happened, but I'll just limit it to two things. Uh, the first thing that happened is I had an encounter with the Lord out of nowhere. Uh, here's what's also funny. I wasn't sure that there was a God, but I didn't quit praying which is hysterical, right? It's like, what? Such paradox. But I was praying. I was sitting in my office one day and I was praying, but I wasn't like praying. I, I, I was just being quiet. And all of a sudden, the voice of the Spirit came to me and I hadn't heard it like this in two years. And the voice of God said to me, Adam, here's your, here's your problem. You think that you're more merciful than I am, which made so much sense to me, right? And God came to me again, and not externally, but like internal. Um, he said to me, you need to know you are not more merciful than me. Because I was afraid that God was going to send most people to hell, right? Anyway, I got totally wrecked. But then something else happened. It was right along this time. And I hadn't put it together until like last year. I was already beginning to come out of this, this deep funk, right? But the, the voice of the Lord was the final straw. But before that, what had happened is I'd gotten so miserable that I started like, I started going to the gym and working out. And I did, I, I know, this, you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Here's what it has to do with, here's what it has to do. I went to the gym, and I wasn't going to the gym because I was like trying to fix myself. I just went to the gym because I had turned like 34 years old and I just felt like crap. No, I was also depressed, but I just physically felt like garbage, Right? And I didn't go crazy at the gym. I didn't do anything wacky. I didn't, you know, I didn't even do CrossFit back then. I was just like normal gym stuff, you know, like get on the treadmill, like pick up a weight. I don't know. And here's what's weird. After six months of doing that, I started feeling better, you know? Why? 
Here's why. I didn't realize this until later, much later. Uh, you're a triune person. You're a spirit, a soul, and a body. And sometimes the stuff that is locked in your soul or in your spirit, it needs a physical release. Yeah, some of you are like emotional wrecks and your spiritual life is a dumpster fire. And you're wondering like, how am I going to get this together? Well, here's one way to get it together, right? Uh, you, you need to pray. You need to read your Bible. You need to hear from God. You need to be in Christian community. All those things. Here's another thing that will actually help your inside. Uh, be physical, like acknowledge your body. Uh, the thing that you and I are yearning for is integration. You will not be satisfied with anything less. And so I just began to move. And what I realized is some of the things that were uh, hurting me, like, like physically hurting me, like in my soul, it was stuck. And when I began to sweat and move, it, would, it just left me. Why? Because you're a triune person. I'm a triune person. And to work on your body is also to work on your spirit, and it is to work on your soul as well. You can't touch any one part of you and not have it affect another part of you. It's the reason why uh, worship is such a big deal here at the Vineyard and has been a big deal in the church since the beginning. Like, to sing. How many of you know that like, singing is a, a peculiar thing not among people, because every culture sings, but the way that Christians sing together. No, other cultures sing in their religions as well, but like Christian singing is peculiar, it is weird, and it is in some ways unique to Christianity. This is huge. Here's why singing is such a big deal. Because singing unifies your triune being. It is, it is like lyrics in the mind, that would be like your soul, and it is breath in your lungs. You can't even activate your vocal cords unless your breath in your lungs is taken in and then and then we begin to sing and it's you can how many of you know that when you sing you can feel the reverberations in your chest and then like charismatic worship like to like maybe clap a little bit or to raise your hands it is an accentuation of that and it's actually very important why because it is a it is a unifying experience and then when you point that towards God, there's a really good chance you could get healed. Now, one of the things that's happened in the vineyard many times here is people have been physically healed of like chronic, ongoing pains and disease. I can tell you stories of people who got healed here that no one ever prayed for them and all they did was sing to God. Why does that work? Because if you begin to, if you begin to activate things in your body, don't be surprised if your spirit and your soul respond. And sometimes you're like, you know what, I don't even feel like worshiping. Well, if you put your hand up, you might. Seriously. Like, just to sing. Like, this morning in first service, I didn't even want to be here. <laughs> you know? I didn't even want to be here. And then I started singing, and by the fourth song, Glenn's like in the vineyards of the Lord. And I'm like, I feel God. I didn't feel anything at the beginning. I didn't even want to be here. And then Glenn starts singing in the vineyard of the Lord. Our work is rest. And I lost my stuff, right? All of a sudden, I'm aware that I'm a person, and there's a God, and we're here, and it's great. Why? Because your body is a doorway to your spirit and your soul. And if you work on any one of those things, it will touch the others. You cannot ignore your personhood and live an integrated life. So, isn't that cool? I think that's rad. Woo. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. See, but that's just the first circle. There's many, many circles. You ever like thrown a, thrown a rock into a perfectly steel pond and all those little ripples? Well, the first ripple is just your own existence, but then it keeps going out. And your own existence is deeply connected to other things like um, your family and your school and this community and 
this state and this nation and the world. Like, you are deeply, deeply connected. And so real life is not just the inward journey of spirit, soul, and body as an individual, but it's also the outward journey to those that we find ourselves living among. See, real life is coming into the presence of others, and it's leaving isolation. Now, here's the good news. You came to church this morning. What that tells me is that something in you, even if you didn't want to be here, something underneath the I don't want to be here, came because what you're looking for is to leave isolation and to live a more unified, integrated life, and you're, and you're coming into the presence of others. Why? Because you know, even if you couldn't articulate it, articulate it you know at an, in, I'm, I'm doing great today, you know at an instinctual level that to be alone is to not have a life. I'll tell you another story. Um, Heather and I were like food and wine people, right? Uh, this, was, this was probably like seven years ago. We had this bottle of wine at a family dinner, and it blew our minds. Um, this is, there's a thing in the, in the wine world. It's called aha moments. If you get around wine geeks, you can ask them, hey, what was your aha wine? That's, like a, that's, like, that's how wine nerds know that you're talking to other wine nerds. It's like our secret badge. It's like, so what was your aha wine? You know? That lets you know that you're secret, but <laughs> that you're in. So seven years ago, we're at family dinner, and we have an aha wine. And we weren't expecting it, but everyone in the table knows that whatever's happening in this bottle, it's bigger than, it's like, it's the, it's the new kingdom. <laughs> and you laugh, but I'm not joking. It was new creation, right? Yeah, I mean, Jesus makes, he makes wine out of, out of water, and, and at the last feast, there's going to be wine, right? Because the Gospel of John says he saves the best to last. And so sometimes even food and wine can be a sign of the, the kingdom that's coming, right? And it was one of those nights, and we were like, this is flipping amazing. What is this? And we all got just happy, and it wasn't because we were drunk. It was because, it was, yeah, whatever, kids. But it was because, it was because there's something more, you know? It was like, there's something more. And we all went home. Well, I went out and I bought a few more bottles of that wine. I'm like, I will have this in my cellar. And Heather and the kids, they went away for like a little, little family vacay thing to go see her grandparents. And I was like, yeah, I think I'll stay home. <laughs> y'all, y'all just do that, right? You know, go to Ohio. I love two days alone, you know, and, this, and I realize this is the opposite of what I'm telling you. <laughs> but I was at home, and I was watching every movie, every movie that Heather would never watch with me, you know, every movie where everyone's dead, basically, you know? You know, it, it, the movie starts with people, and it ends with no one, you know? It's like, um, anyway, I just thought, you know what? No one's here. I'm going to have one of those bottles of wine, so I pop it, and I pour it, and I, I drink it, and it's like, Smells okay. Doesn't smell great though. The other night it smelled great. Tasted it. Tastes good. Doesn't taste great though. It's really weird. It's really weird. Anyway, I just finally put my wine glass down and put the cork back on it and put it up. I was frustrated. I was like, what is going on? And then it occurred to me wine is no fun alone. Why? Because real life is in the connection and the sharing, right? And you can ask any wine person, have you ever had a bottle that blew your mind when you were with people that you drank alone that was completely underwhelming? And everyone will tell you, yes. Why? Because the real life is in the sharing. It's in the communion. It's in leaving isolation. And so you came here this morning and 
hey, gold stars, you took a step toward leading, leaving isolation and, and coming into the real thing. By the way, I want to talk to you about the temptation to run into isolation just for a second before we wrap this up. How many of you have ever noticed that, um, especially if you like, uh, if you're just a jerk or you get into like some sin thing, um, man, the first temptation is always to like run away and hide and get isolated, right? Have you ever noticed that? Like, like if you if you like just give somebody the business, you just give them the what for, or and probably you don't do that in real life, but you just you probably do it on the internet because everybody's more courageous on the internet, right? It's like. We say things to people on, on Facebook we would never say to their face. You know, just type it out, you know. You're a terrible person, you're stupid, and, and I hate you. You know, it's just, <laughs> and your kids are stupid, you know. Like, and I hate them too, you know. It's like, and sin, you know. That'll, you know. Maybe you do that, or, you know, or, or maybe... Um, or maybe you, like, you don't tell your wife and you buy something really expensive and you run the credit card up. I never did that. Or, or maybe, you like, maybe you look at internet pornography or, or you know, maybe, you like, maybe you cheat on a test or something. You, know, you just do something you know you're not supposed to do and it's not good for you. And it's, it's not just because somebody told you it wasn't good for you, but like on the inside, you know it's not good for you. Have you ever noticed that when you get into that stuff, the first thing you always want to do is just isolate? You'll just be like, I'm out, right? What is that about? What is that about? Well, that's really simple because almost all the time, like, like I love what Richard Rohr says about sin. Richard Rohr says that sin is what doesn't work. I love that definition. I won't go into it, but just think about that. It really that's a great definition. So you get into sin, uh, it doesn't work, right? And, and because, because the devil wants to increase the not working in your life, there will always be this temptation. It's almost like an echo or a backdraft that comes off of those kinds of actions that wants to get you isolated. Why? Because real life is in connection and not isolation. That's why. So it's really strange. Like, and have you ever noticed that if you just tell somebody like who you really are and what you're into, that all of a sudden all the shame is gone, and when the shame is gone, like you're back in? Yeah. Like this is 98% of the power of like coming to talk to a pa- pastor or going to therapy or get counseling. It's not because the pastor, the therapist, or the counselor actually has any real voodoo that they can do to your life and fix it. It's that when you acknowledge your real life and you come out from hiding and you tell the truth, the shame leaves, and when the shame leaves, you can actually get plugged back into the real relationships. Yeah. Some of you are like having some real difficult times in your life. Well, let me just tell you, you should find a pastor, a counselor, or a therapist, and you should go tell the truth. I'll tell you another story. Um, this is back to Gethsemane, like the place where I go take silent retreats. I've told some of you this before, but I'll tell you this, because I think maybe somebody here might even need to know this. Um, one day I was there, <clears throat> and on Tuesdays and Saturdays, they do something called reconciliation. Now, I'm not Catholic, so I didn't have a clue what that was. It was like in this little room. I didn't know what that was, but it, I looked, and it was like Tuesday, and it was like 5 o'clock. I'm like, oh, I'm in time, so I'll go in. And I go in, and the room is really dark. It's like this little chapel, and I was kind of freaked out. And I, then all of a sudden, I see other people in there, and everyone's just sitting. I'm, I'm like, I don't know what to do, so I just I sit down with them, you know? I literally have no idea what we're about to do. Then all of a sudden, I see this priest come in and go into this side door. And then I see the first person get up and go in. A few minutes later, they come out and they leave. Then the other person goes in and they come out and they leave. And by the third person, I realized, oh my God, this is confession. You know? (laughs) So I'm sitting there going, 
oh, I'm screwed. What am I going to do? Like, do I, do I, because, because I'm seen, like you can't hide, right? It's like it's church, man. And I'm like, do I get up and like just blow this thing off and like pretend I'm going to puke? Or, I don't know what to do. Finally, I, I decided I'm going to stay, you know, and I just made sure I was the last person. I went in and the guys, I mean, it's like, it's behind the thing, you know, it's like the, it's just like the movies. And I sit down and I said, well, I guess my first confession is I'm not a Catholic, so I don't know if this is legal, right? <laughs> and the guy, the guy on the other side laughs. And then he does this super intimidating thing. He like comes around and he sees me. And then he grabs a chair because I'm sitting in a chair. He grabs a chair and he pulls it up right in front of me. It's like, I don't know why he did this. But it, got, it went from intimidating to mega intimidating. And now we're sitting, we're sitting knee to knee and face to face, right? He says, what's your name? I said, my name is Adam. He says, Adam, tell me everything. I took a breath, and I'm like, this could take a minute. But I did. I went with it. I told him everything. I told him every rotten, horrible thing that I've ever done. I told him everything. everything. I told him things my wife didn't even know. I told him every single thing. Mostly the highlights, you know, just like the stuff that will surely send you to hell. I told him all of that stuff. And then he puts his hands on my shoulders, and he looks me right in the eye, and he says, Adam, Jesus died for the sins of the world, including yours. And I just, I mean, you know, I was like shaking to my core, and I was like wailing, crying. It was, it was ugly. It was, it was horrible. It's, it's the kind of crying that makes other people uncomfortable, you know? I understand that this is kind of a beautiful story, but if you had been there, you would be embarrassed for me, Right? <laughs> And I'm, I'm wailing. He just pulls me into his big Trappist monk arms. You know, he's just, and he's just, and he, you know, didn't say another word to me. And I got up and I realized that I'd been carrying some shame for 20 or 25 years. Things that I didn't even know about. I couldn't even tell you what it was. I just, but things like left my body, you know? I began to do some soul and spirit work, and now all of a sudden my body feels different. Like I had more energy. I had more energy. I had energy for like weeks that I didn't have. Where did that come from? Well, I'm a triune being, and I got reconnected. The shame left, and all of a sudden I'm more deeply connected. I, I come home a few weeks later. Heather says to me, you're different, right? Who I was in my family circle had changed. What was it? Oh, I'd just done some soul work with the priest, you know? Man, that's where it's at, guys. That is where it's at. So you've done this thing and you've come here. And here's what it means to really be connected. We'll end with this. I've told too many stories this morning. Here's what it really means to be connected. And you can see it even in the painting. Don't y'all love my painting I found today? Ooh, it's hot. Here's what it means to be connected this way. To live into a real life that is relational the way that God is relational. It means, it means serving and it means being served. Both. Jesus did the will of the Father, right? We see this. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is like, hey, I would prefer not to do this, but what? Hey, not my will, but yours be done, right? And so Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus serves the Father. And then how does the Father serve Jesus? By raising him up. Yeah. What is real life? How many of you know that Jesus never did any of his miracles because he played his God card? No, he relied on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit served him, right? 
And then in Acts chapter 2, Jesus serves the Holy Spirit to the whole church. And so even within the Trinity, we see this dynamic nature that real life, coming out of isolation, being connected, whatever you want to call that, but real life is found in serving and being served. And so what does it mean for us as a church? Well, here's what it means. It means if you really want to be here, to really, really be here, it means you have to serve and you have to be served. And that's really uncomfortable because some of us are like, you know what, I'll let you serve me. In fact, some of us are like really good at that. And not only that, but we, we like arrange our lives so that other people will serve us, you know? And not only that, but we will even latch on to our own brokenness so that people will continue to serve us. We'll just lap it up, you know? Serve me, you know? I'm hungry, give me, help me. You know, all of that. And then others of us in the room lean towards, I'm just going to serve. I'm going to serve, serve, serve. You know, you're like serving kids' church. You make coffee and you hold the doors open. You do 147 home groups and you just, you have people over and you counsel everybody and you, you pray for people, but you're never served, right? And how many of you realize that both of those people are ultimately immature and the reason they're immature is because they're living out of insecurities. People who will receive, serve, who will receive service but never serve, they're ultimately insecure and usually about their own brokenness. They've so focused on who they think they really are that they've latched onto the false self and never really lived into their true self who, who is actually loved, accepted, and healed by Jesus, right? And then the people who serve, 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 serve. It's one of a couple things, but it's also insecurity. And it's the insecurity of, of being vulnerable or, or, or being seen. Like, like that's a really tender thing to, 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 to look strong, but then you know, have to admit that you're a weak person. Like, even today, like, I, I, I ironed my shirt, looked pretty good. Some of you guys think I have it really together. Come talk to me sometime. I'll tell you about how I don't have it together, right? And in doing so, that's where the real juice is. And so if you've served a lot here at the Vineyard, but you've never been served, I hate to break it to you, you're still not really a part. And if you've been served, but you've never given, you still are not there. If you've been giving, but you haven't been served, still not there. The real connection the moment that you'll have the real life, the life of God, is when we do both. And that's what we're going to discover for the next few weeks. That's what we're going to discover. It's the, it's, the, it's the intention to see people. See, you can't serve people unless you see them. And especially to see people here that you'd prefer not to see. To see people who really are broken and messed up, you know? It's easy to come here and just see like a friend or two, and you don't see the people who are on the edges. But Jesus sees the people who are broken and on the edges. But then, it's also the courage to not just see people, but to allow yourself to be seen. You know, some of you here, like, really, like you're successful, and you're with it, and your shoes and your belt always match, and, like, you're smart, you know, and you, and you got it together, and, but you know that on the inside that you're a house of horrors, and you've never told anyone, you know? And that's what it means to be real church, is to let that down and let somebody get on their hands and knees and wash your feet. That's what Jesus did, right? Yeah, that's what it means. All right, life in a circle. I think I've stirred up enough troubles. Mm. If you're on the ministry team, why don't you come up to the piano? We'll try that. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at The Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.